This is so exciting. I'm so, so pleased to be here with you guys this morning. It's, it's great to sing the praises of God, isn't it? Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Pete. Um, I've been at this church for um, eight years with my wife. We lead a life group. And we, we love this place. We love it so much. We love coming here. We love worshiping God. We love singing his praises. We love sitting down and hearing uh, Philip or whoever it is speaking and opening the word of God. And I am so, so privileged to be able to do that today um, and, and, and conclude a series which we've been uh, going through since, since, April, since April. Um, this is our 11th and final uh, study on the character of God. Um, we've been told it's spotlight. And um, it's, it's been wonderful to, to actually stop and look and consider who God is and what he is like. Um, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 46, be still, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The reason we are here and we are learning about the character of God is so that it will lead to him being glorified. So that we will be equipped to go out and exalt him as we, we know who he is and we can step out in faith knowing he will never leave us, he will never forsake us and so that we're in, enabled to speak of who God is to others so that we can exalt him because we have been still and we know who God is. Um, today we're going to be looking at the faithfulness of God, and um, before I launch into it, there's, there's a couple of things I'd, I'd like to say. First is, is a personal testimony, and uh, the second is a little bit of an explanation about something which might confuse you if I, if I don't explain it. Um, first off, in terms of the personal testimony, um, the past two and a half weeks have been amongst the most difficult and painful of my life. Um, I'm not going to go into the details, but it's been tough. And it has made it incredibly, incredibly difficult for me to prepare for this study. And I'm, I'm somebody who's very focused and very organized, and I like to... I like to be prepared well in advance, and, and that hasn't been possible on this occasion. And there have been a few times when I've, I've, I've been at the end of myself, and I've, I've been really close to phoning up the church office to say, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to be able to preach on Sunday. Um, but twice this week, twice this week, um, people have encouraged me by reminding me that it's not about how much time I've had to prepare. It's about being sustained by God. It's about the fact that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me. And it made me realize I'm, I'm speaking on the faithfulness of God here. Do I believe that God is faithful to me? Well, I'm here. Yes, I do. I am not speaking to you about the faithfulness of God as if it's something abstract, but because I have experienced it in my own life, in my own heart, and in my own circumstances. And I really, really desperately hope that you will see something of God's faithfulness. 
Secondly, just a little bit of an explanation. Um, while talking about the faithfulness of God, you may find I talk interchangeably about the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, when I do that, that's not meant to confuse. Um, it's, it's something which is, is deliberate. We as a church believe that Jesus Christ is God in human form. That 2,000 years ago, God became a man, was born in Bethlehem, was named Jesus, was raised in Nazareth, and lived, this, lived in this world, and walked the same path that we did. I don't think it's possible to understand the faithfulness of God if it's kept something which is aloof and distant and unaffected by the things which pain humanity. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, when he walked on this earth, he was exposed to the same pressures, hurts, and betrayals as we experience. And yet, he was faithful to the very end. The faithfulness of God isn't something where I say, all right, I forgot to be faithful because he's up there. No, he came down here. And because he came down here, and he proved faithful in all things, this is something which is personal. It's not abstract. It's real. If you want to know what God is like as a faithful God, look at the example of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. We're told in Colossians that he is the image of the invisible God. And Jesus, Jesus actually said to his disciples himself, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? You want to know about his faithfulness? Look to Jesus. Now, talking about faithfulness, this talk is focusing on what I believe is one of the most comforting of God's attributes, and that's his faithfulness. I'd like to suggest that God's faithfulness undergirds, it underpins all of his other attributes. And it makes them unchanging and secure. It's because God is faithful that we can trust his goodness and his grace, because he's faithfully unchanging in his dealings with us. It's because God is faithful in his justice that we can sit back and rest and know that one day this faithfully just God is going to make, is going to right every wrong. God isn't fickle. He is totally and utterly dependable in every aspect of his character and, he, and he's unfailingly reliable in all of his dealings with us all of the time. So first off, what does it mean to be faithful? I don't mean to tell you something that you don't know, but it's always good to be reminded. So according to dictionary.com, faithfulness means loyal or constant. And it implies qualities of stability, dependability, and devotion. Faithful implies long-continued and steadfast fidelity to whatever one is bound to by a pledge, duty, or obligation. Now, this is not something we see very much of in the world in which we live. Um, in the first half of the 20th century, a man named Arthur Pink wrote a classic Christian book called The Attributes of God, in which he said the following. Faithfulness is one of the most outstanding sins of these evil days. In the business world, a man's word is, with exceedingly rare exceptions, no longer his bond. 
in the social world, marital infidelity abounds on every hand, the sacred bonds of wedlock being broken with as little regard as discarding of an old garment. In the ecclesiastical realm, in the church realm, thousands who have covenanted to preach the truth make no scruple to attack and deny it. Nor can the reader or the writer com uh, claim complete immunity from this fearful sin. In how many ways have we, you and me, been unfaithful to Christ and to the light of the privileges which God has entrusted to us? Friends, nobody gets married. Nobody gets married thinking that one day the person who is standing opposite them, who they love, who is making lifelong vows of commitment to them, is one day going to be unfaithful or leave them. And yet one website I looked at provided statistics that in 41% of marriages, 41% in the United States, one or both spouses admit to infidelity. And that's just those who admit it. Nobody enters into a legal contract thinking that the other partner in the agreement will one day cheat them. And yet, according to the Financial Times, in 2017, last year, more than £2 billion worth of fraud was committed in the UK. We see affairs in marriages. We see dishonesty in business, cheating in school and university exams, fights between relatives over inheritance, betrayals in friendships, diving in football matches, Broken homes, <laughs> broken homes, broken hearts, and broken promises. That's what we see in the world round about us. We live in an increasingly unfaithful society. And it hurts. But it shouldn't surprise us if we're Christians. The Bible tells us in, 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 in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And elsewhere in Proverbs 20, the Bible says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast faithfulness, but a faithful man who can find? Implication being, you can't. The reality is that no one, no one is totally faithful totally reliable, totally dependable in every area of their lives all of the time. Every one of us, including you and I, has lied to other people, has broken our word, has let others down, has not followed through. All of us have been unfaithful. Now, I believe there are three basic reasons that we see so much unfaithfulness in the world. There, there might be more a greater number of more complex reasons, but fundamentally I think it can drill down to just these three. The first one is that people lie. People say things and they don't mean them. The second one is people change. People say things and they mean them, but then subsequently they decide to go back on what they have, what they have agreed to. And thirdly, people can be thwarted. Circumstances can get in the way. And I'll go into those in a little more detail in a bit. In this world of uncertainty, dishonesty, betrayal, and hurt, we are all, all of us, are looking for someone who's going to be totally faithful to us. But the reality is there are some people, probably some here, who have been so hurt by the unfaithfulness of others, probably by so many people, in so many different ways, on so many occasions, 
that we feel we've lost all ability to trust another person ever again. If that's you, I want to tell you, this is not what God is like. He is not like us. He's not like those people who have lied to us, hurt us, or betrayed us. We can put our complete trust in God because of his faithfulness. Now, going on with the faithfulness of God. There's so much scripture, so much scripture about the faithfulness of God that it, it would be impossible to fit it all in today. In every book of the Bible, you will find themes running through about the faithfulness of God. And there are whole psalms which are committed to just this one subject. Now, God's faithfulness relates to the unchanging consistency of his character and the certainty of his promises. And I'd like to suggest that when you see God praised for his faithfulness in the Bible, he is being praised for his faithfulness based on the experience of the author. They are not talking in a way which is cold and academic. It's not some distant analysis of a distant God, but it's a testimony from the heart often through very painful times, of a God who has been a refuge and a strength and a very present help in times of trouble. And one of the best-known verses about the faithfulness of God was sung by Moses. One of the best-known verses about the faithfulness of God was sung by Moses at the end of his life. Where Moses says, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. He is a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Good and upright is he. That is at the end of Deuteronomy. And it's said by Moses, who is 120 years old, who has been in the wilderness for 40 years with a difficult, rebellious, hateful, grumbling people of Israel. And here he is declaring God's faithfulness because he has seen God prove faithful to him through the ups and the lows, through the good times and the bad times. He's experienced it himself. That is why he is able to declare God's faithfulness. And that is exactly the same case with the other Bible writers that I will be quoting. Paul, Jeremiah, David, all men who have gone through the mill, who have gone through such difficult times and yet come out at the other end declaring, I have a God who is faithful, who has never left me, who has never forsaken me. This is personal, friends, because it's based on experience. Now, I've come up with my own definition of the faithfulness of God, which um, should hopefully be up on the screen in the next couple of seconds. Yep, there it is. God's faithfulness relates to the unchanging consistency of his character and the certainty of his promises. God's faithfulness is total and never-ending. God always keeps his promises because God cannot lie, God cannot change, and God can never be thwarted. God is a God of his word. Now, I'd like to break that down for you into four component parts. Not the first sentence, but the second sentence. I'm going to break that down. First off, God's faithfulness is total and never-ending. By total, and I've already alluded to this, by total I mean that the faithfulness of God permeates right throughout his entire character and is consistently found 
in all of his attributes. God is not fickle by being faithful in some areas and unfaithful in others. Um, to show you what I mean, let, let, me give you, let me give you an example. Let me give you an illustration. Say you're living with a number of flatmates and you've all promised to faithfully share the chores and to pay the bills. But one of you, though fantastic at housework, never pays up. It does not matter how reliable they are doing the dishes and vacuum and putting out the rubbish and all the other chores which need to be done. They have not kept their side of the flatmate agreement. They are not paying up. Now, they might say to you, but I'm a really faithful flatmate. I always clean up like I agree to. That may be true. But they can't really be called a faithful flatmate in this example. True faithfulness does not pick and choose. It does not decide to be faithful in this area and not faithful in that area. Faithfulness is either all or nothing. Similarly, if God, for instance, is faithfully consistent in his justice and goodness, but unfaithful in his love and mercy, he can't be faithful, period. Faithfulness, when you find it in the Bible talking about God, it's all-encompassing. It affects every aspect of God's character. In fact, if you think about it, God can't be perfectly good and perfectly loving unless he's perfectly just. Nor can God be totally just unless he has total knowledge. All of God's attributes, they're not separate. You've not got the holiness over here and goodness over here and knowledge over here. It's, it's a lattice. It it interweaves, they all connect together. You can't separate one attribute from another. And you cannot separate the faithfulness of God from all of his other attributes. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. God isn't just a God of faithfulness. He is a God of great faithfulness. What do we mean by great? Well, thankfully, one of the psalmists tells us in Psalm 145, it says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The greatness of the faithfulness of God is unsearchable. It has no limits. Anything we think we know about the faithfulness of God, it's just, it's just a drop in the ocean. We're like a toddler standing on the edge of a sea for the first time, fascinated by the water going over our toes, completely oblivious to the depth and the breadth of the oceans. God's faithfulness is unsearchable. And it goes through all of his characters. By never-ending... I mean that God's faithfulness never, ever fails. Never. Let me give you another example. If someone was an animal lover and they devoted their entire life to working for the RSPCA for 30 years, But at the end of the 30 years, they decided that they were going to start inflicting harm on animals. They're not an animal lover. 
They might say to you, but I have loved animals for so long and I've cared for thousands of animals for over 30 years. Doesn't that count for something? Well, frankly, no, it doesn't. You're hurting animals now. It does not matter that you've called yourself an animal lover and looked after loads of animals in the past. You're not proving faithful to what you are declaring about yourself right here, right now. And that is exactly the same with God. God's faithfulness is never-ending. His faithfulness today is the same as his faithfulness yesterday and will be the same as his faithfulness tomorrow. Going back to that verse in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Secondly, God always keeps his promises because God cannot lie. Now, we can make promises but never have any intention to keep them. And, and we're actually lying when we make those promises. Let, let me give, give you another example. A dad can promise, promise his daughter that no matter what, no matter what, he will leave work on time so that he can see her performance at school. Now, the dad could be lying at the outset and have absolutely no intention of going and seeing his daughter's performance. God, however, cannot lie. The Bible tells us that quite clearly. I'll just give you two verses. Numbers 23, it says, uh, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie. And in Hebrews 6.18, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. You can't get any clearer than that. God cannot lie. Now, for those of you who are thinking, well, I thought God could do whatever he wants. Isn't he so powerful? He can just do whatever he wants. That's exactly the point. That's why it is impossible for God to lie. Last week, if you were here, we heard all about the power of God. And we were reminded that God is so powerful that he simply spoke all of creation, spoke all of reality into being. That is why it is impossible for God to lie, because whatever God says is, his word is that powerful. Hopefully I'll show you what I mean. Um, when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, in John chapter 14, he says to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I am the truth. Um, I'm going to give you a very quick Greek lesson. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the word truth in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the truth, aletheia, it can also be translated as reality. And if you don't believe me, just go onto Wikipedia, type in aletheia, and it says it in the very top line. I didn't get it from there, by the way. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> so truth means reality. And you know elsewhere in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is talking, and he's trying to stress the truth of what he's saying. He says, most assuredly I say to you, or truly, truly I say to you, or if you're, if you're really old school and you're reading the, New King, uh, the King James Version, it says, verily, verily, I say unto thee... In the original Greek, the word used for truly or verily is amen. Now for us today, we use that at the end of a prayer to let people know they can open their eyes. <laughs> but the word amen actually means 
certainty. So when Jesus says it, he is talking about certainty. When Jesus is describing himself, he is describing himself as reality. When Jesus speaks, he speaks truth. More than that, he speaks reality. He speaks certainty. Jesus' words didn't just become reality. Jesus' words spoken in time always were reality from eternity because I hope you can get this, and I hope my words can communicate this to you clear enough. The infinite power of God, the infinite, infinite power of his spoken word transcends time and reaches into both eternity past and eternity to come. God cannot lie because his word is so powerful that what he says always has been true and always will be true. God can't lie. He therefore can't make false promises. It says in Psalm 33, the word of the Lord is upright. The word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. God always keeps his promises because he cannot lie. Thirdly, God always keeps his promises because God cannot change. Going back to that example of the dad again. The dad promises his daughter that no matter what, he will leave work on time so that he can see her performance at school. This time, the dad means it. He genuinely means it. When he tells his daughter, when he makes his promise to her, he means that he is going to be there on time. But this time, something comes up which makes him change his mind. Maybe there's an opportunity at work to be involved in a project late on that evening, which means he might get promoted. And he decides, actually, I know I said that to my daughter, but this is more important. I'm going to focus on this. The dad is unfaithful, not because he lied, but because he changed. God can't change, friends. God is perfect in all of his holy attributes. He always has been he always will be. Therefore, he can't change. Now, when things change, they either change for the better or they change for the worse. Things can never stay qualitatively the same. If God changed for the better, he's, no, he's not perfect to begin with. If he changes for the worse, he's no longer perfect. God's character, God's nature, his entire being is absolutely perfect all the time. God cannot change. And because God cannot change, he cannot change his mind. We got that in the Bible once again. In Malachi chapter 3, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. In the New Testament, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And when James is, is writing in, in James chapter 1, he calls God the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and no shadow due to change. Now, this is why we can sing about the faithfulness of God in church. Consider these songs. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Or one of the songs we sung during our worship time. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You never change. You never fail. 
oh God. The reason we can sing songs of worship about God's faithfulness is because we know God does not change. Ever. I'm going to read another quote by Arthur Pink. Talking about the unchanging nature of God. And he says, herein is solid comfort. Human nature cannot be relied upon, but God can. However unstable I may be, however fickle my friends may prove, God changes not. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing today and another tomorrow, who could confide in him? But all praise to his glorious name, he is ever the same. His purpose is fixed, his will is stable, his word is sure. Here then is a rock on which we may fix our feet while the mighty torrent is sweeping away everything around us. The permanence of God, sorry, the permanence of God's character guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. Fourthly, God always keeps his promises because God can never be thwarted. Going back to the dad again, he's promised his daughter on this occasion that no matter what, he will get away from work so he can attend her performance. He's not lying. He means it when he makes this promise. He does not change his mind. But this time, something happens. Something external to him comes and invades his situation and compromises his will so that he is not able to get there. Maybe he loses his car keys so he can't drive home. Or if he's going on public transport, there's a Suddenly an unexpected train strike or there's a, he's involved in an accident and he cannot get there. The dad could say to his daughter, it wasn't my fault. Maybe so. But the reality is dad made a promise to his daughter that he would see her performance no matter what and dad hasn't kept his word. Now, can this happen with God? Is it possible that despite his truthful promises and his best intentions to keep them, something external to God, something outside of his control, could prevent him from keeping his promises to us? Could God prove unfaithful or unreliable due to external forces which are no fault of his own? Perhaps due to delay. It's too late. No. No. God cannot be thwarted. There are so many verses, so many verses about this in the Bible. In Jeremiah chapter 32, God says to Jeremiah, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? A rhetorical question. And the answer is obvious to Jeremiah that it's no. And there's another verse which we find in Daniel, which is spoken by King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a king of the Babylonian Empire, and he was probably the most powerful man on the planet at that point when he says about God that he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? God cannot be thwarted. Let me give you an example from the book of Genesis. In Genesis, God appears to Abraham and he promises him in chapter 12 that he would make Abraham into a great nation and that in Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That is a promise referring to the Lord Jesus Christ one day coming from Abraham's line, being one of his descendants. 
When God said this to Abraham, Abraham was a 75-year-old man, and his wife was 65. This promise comes in. Surely, if God is going to fulfill this promise to Abraham and to Sarah, it is now or never. Can't be delayed. And yet, 25 years later, that promise is not fulfilled. When Abraham is 99 years old, God appears to him again, and God again promises Abraham, 99-year-old man, that he's, him and his 89-year-old wife will have a baby boy. And God concludes, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Humanly speaking, this was impossible. It was bad enough that God turned up when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. Almost 25 years have passed. They are both beyond the age of childbearing and they have no kids. God does not appear to have kept his word. He appears to have proved unfaithful. And yet, a year later, in Genesis 21, we see this promise fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. God cannot lie. God cannot change. And God cannot be thwarted. That is why God is a God of such great, great faithfulness. So, what does this, this, this great, immeasurable, unfailing faithfulness of God mean, mean for us personally? What's it mean for me? What's it mean for you personally as individuals? I'd just like to address different groups that might be here. Perhaps you're here today knowing that you're not a Christian. You're conscious of your sin. And you think you are beyond salvation. I would like to tell you that the Bible tells us God has made a promise to forgive those who confess their sins. In 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It does not matter the extent of your sin, friends. If you confess to the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask him to save you, he will because he is a faithful saviour. If this is you, don't focus on your great sin. Focus on the even greater faithfulness of God who's made this promise to forgive and to cleanse. Perhaps you're a Christian, but you're struggling or you think you've disqualified yourself. I'd like to tell you that you haven't. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 2.13 where it says, If we are faithless... He, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Before God saved you, friends, if you fall into this category, before God saved you, he knew the kind of life you would live. He knew how you would let him down as a Christian. 
how you would wander, how you would fall into sin time and time and time again. And yet you are saved. Not because of your faithfulness, but because of his faithfulness. Not because of your consistency, but because of his consistency. Not because of your goodness, but because of Christ's goodness. Or perhaps you're holding on to promises that God has made. Maybe you're worried that it's too late. I'd like to remind you of Abraham and Sarah, who we looked at a few minutes ago. And I'd like to to share with you a wonderful verse in a very obscure book, the book of Habakkuk, where the Lord says to Habakkuk the prophet, Write the vision, or the promise, write the promise, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For this promise awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. God's promises to every single one of us are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. God is not working too late in your life, friends. It's not too late because he is faithful. Or perhaps you're a Christian who's lacking assurance. Maybe you doubt that your saviour is actually one day going to come and, and take you home, take you to be with him forever when he returns. Perhaps you doubt that you've got the strength to live for him right to the end. Well, Paul says to the Christians in the city of Corinth, and and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You will be sustained to the day of Jesus Christ because of the faithfulness of God. Finally, I'd like to conclude by saying that Jesus himself was faithful to the end. And he therefore calls us to follow his example of faithfulness. In Philippians 2, it says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Even while Jesus was bleeding and dying on the cross, he was thinking about his enemies. People who had lied about him. They'd made false accusations. They'd convicted him wrongly they beaten him they mockingly pierced his head with a crown of thorns they maliciously hammered nails into his hands and his feet and while he was hanging naked and alone on a cross they mocked him they laughed at him they hurled abuse they ridiculed him and said if you're a god come down from the cross what's his response He prays to his Father in heaven and says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Jesus was faithful to the end, friends. God didn't spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with his son, freely give us all things? And in conclusion, we're called to follow Christ's example of faithfulness says in Revelation 2, be faithful to the, to the end. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. 
This is Jesus writing to one of the churches in the last book of the Bible. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. You may feel that you cannot follow the example of Christ and his faithfulness. I would like to tell you, you can. Not in your own strength, but in the strength which God gives you through the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit. You, if you are a Christian here today, you will not fail. You will not fall. Oh, you may stumble along the way. You may lose the odd battle here or there, but you will win the war because you are on the side of God Almighty and God Almighty is on your side and he is faithful and he is faithful to the end. Perhaps this is resonated with some of you. Um, we'll have a prayer team over there or there at the end. And if this has struck a chord with any of you, if you want to know more of God's faithfulness, because you're going through the fire at the moment, if you doubt God will be faithful to you because you're so aware of your sin, if you lack assurance, if you feel you've been unfaithful and you've disqualified yourself, don't be slow in coming and asking for prayer because we will pray to you, for you to a God who is faithful, who hears and answers prayer. I'll invite the band up now. I'll just conclude by, by praying for, for us all, if, if, if that's all right. Father God in heaven, thank you that you are faithful to the end. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is faithful to the end. Oh Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith in your faithfulness, in your goodness, in your mercy, and in your love. Lord, may we be people who are still and know that you are God so that we may be those who go out into this world and exalt you and lift up your name and say, the Lord has done wondrous things for me. May we be men and women who are able to testify to your great faithfulness to us, even through the fire and even through the storm. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.